I'm Audrey Cooper, the editor-in-chief of the San Francisco Chronicle, and today on Fifth Emission, the latest on the coronavirus. We had a major development this week, the diagnosis of a Bay Area resident who had no previous contact with a traveler from China. Conspiracy theories and misinformation are rampant, so the Chronicle is staying on top of this story. We aim to give you the dispassionate, what-you-need-to-know details on what global health officials say is likely to become a worldwide pandemic. Joining me today to talk about this is health reporters Aaron Alday and Kat Ho. Aaron, can you bring us up to speed on what has changed in the last 24 hours? Sure. So the last uh, the last 24 hours has been um, pretty much a game changer um, in a lot of ways uh, with coronavirus in the United States. Uh, the the woman who was diagnosed with uh, with coronavirus um, is a Solano, a Solano County resident um, who had none of the risk factors for for this virus. She had um, not been uh, traveling recently in China or anywhere um, I think outside of the country, and had not had any interactions that were known of with anybody who had coronavirus. Um, so what that means is they don't know where she got it. They really have no idea how she could have become infected, which means that it came from the community. It's called community-acquired uh, infection, and it just means it's somewhere out there, and they don't know, and they probably won't know. And, you know, that's that's a new a new era in this, uh, in this epidemic, in this outbreak that we now have, this proof that this thing is circulating in the community. So this woman, we know it's a woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know how old she is. Correct. Um, and she is currently in a hospital. Correct. How is she doing? She's she's very ill. Um, so she was treated at a very small hospital initially in uh, Solano County. She uh, had flu-like symptoms and just walked herself into the hospital, stayed there for three days, became ill enough that they put her on a respirator, um, a ventilator. Uh, and she was then transferred. She was serious enough that they transferred her to UC Davis Medical Center in Sacramento, um, where she has been and, and continues to be for uh, the last week. Um, but yeah, she's she's very ill. And yesterday, the news came out that uh, local health officials had tried to get her tested for coronavirus. And the CDC basically, I mean, the way I wrote it was blew them off and said she doesn't fit any of the testing protocol. I mean, blew it off is probably a little bit of an overstatement. Um, The CDC, uh, you know, initially created a protocol for testing, um, which was based on, you know, all the information we had available that they would only test people who had known risk factors. So, you know, we just don't have the capacity in this country to test everybody who has respiratory symptoms. It's just that that would be impossible. Um, and so they, you know, at at a certain point said, we will test anybody with respiratory sim- uh, symptoms who also has, you know, recent travel to China or has, we know they have interacted with somebody who had uh, the coronavirus. Um, so this person didn't meet any of those criteria, but... When she got to UC Davis, the doctors there were concerned enough about her case. Um, And we think it had something to do with the fact that she had pneumonia. Um, It looked like a viral infection, but they weren't able to figure out what virus she was infected with. They tested her and it was a mystery. Um, So that, you know, these were people at UC Davis. They'd already treated some coronavirus patients. They knew what to look for. It was very much on their minds. And so I think they were pushing the CDC saying, we think this person needs to be tested, even though she doesn't meet the criteria. This went kind of on for four or five days. And eventually, for whatever reason, the CDC agreed and decided to test her. And the people at UC Davis, uh, you, you were telling me earlier, they think that this is probably happening in other communities, but they are particularly aware 
aware of it because they've been treating some people who had been in quarantine at Travis Air Force Base. Correct. It was Solano County officials who said that. But yeah, that's the thinking is that because, you know, Solano, uh, Sacramento, like the Bay Area, this has been very much on the forefront of our healthcare providers' minds that that there are these folks at Travis, um, folks that have been transferred to local hospitals who have tested positive for coronavirus or who are suspected cases. So they've been kind of just thinking about this, waiting for it for weeks now. Um, so yeah, the argument is that because they've been on the lookout and they were really, you know, looking at this woman and thinking this could be it, that they they really did push for it. But that it's very possible that there are other people in other parts of the country who have respiratory symptoms, are very seriously ill, and nobody's thinking to test them because they don't meet these other criteria. You mentioned also that the hospital uh, staff workers of the first hospital that treated her, that some of those workers are in quarantine now or home yeah, quarantine. More than some. Um, they said today, just today at a press conference, that um, it's several dozen. They said not more than 100, but, you know, up to 100 uh, people who work at this hospital um, where the woman went initially who interacted with her in some way um, have been identified as, you know, potentially exposed to this and are, you know, in varying degrees. Of, of home isolation now uh, based on how close of an interaction they had with her. That seems very scary to me because how does a hospital continue to operate with 100 people, I mean, a small hospital too? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, they're still open. They say that, you know, very, very bluntly that they are still operating, that they're still telling people to come in there. They said that they did close briefly overnight when this patient was identified. Uh, they said that was mostly so that they could adjust staffing, so that they could you know, basically contact everybody who had been exposed and send them home and then adjust schedules. So they actually they didn't close. They they asked um, ambulances not to bring people to the hospital, um, but they're they're open again. So they seem to have enough staff to be able to manage. But I mean, that's a really good question. And then there's the fact that those individuals were out in the community for a week, um, you know, presumably interacting with people. And I don't know what that means or you know, what they're going to do with that. Does it seem imminent that on the horizon we'll see an end of this um, quarantine effort? Because now people, now if it is in the community, it seems like it is. Um, keeping people in quarantine if they may have been exposed seems like something you can't really control that much. Yeah, I think that that's, that's fair to say. I mean, at some point it's not going to be reasonable. For example, right now, still everybody who returns from China is put on, you know, this kind of self-monitored home isolation. Um, you know, at some point they may decide that's not, that's not useful anymore. If it's spreading in the community here, then it's here and it doesn't help to put people through that. But um, I think these are things that are changing literally day to day. So we'll just have to keep an eye on that. Um, Catherine, what do we know about the testing procedure? Because it, as as Aaron said, it had been limited to people who were coming back from China or had some other contact with people. That doesn't seem to be the case anymore. Is the CDC going to test everybody who has a cold or flu? Well, the CDC just this afternoon issued some new guidelines on who can be administered the test. Uh, so they won't be testing everyone, but it will likely significantly broaden the numbers of people who can get a test. Um, so uh, prior to this afternoon, it was if you had traveled to China recently or if you had a known contact with um, someone who had a confirmed coronavirus case. Uh, and now if you 
come to the hospital with these symptoms, fever, uh, severe respiratory illness, like a, a pneumonia-like symptoms, um, and they can't figure out another diagnosis, then you can be tested. And are there enough tests or testing kits so that we can test all the people who might present at a hospital with these symptoms? Well, right now, at least in California, no, we do not have enough test kits. Um, the governor held a press conference this morning where he said we have about 200 test kits uh, across the state right now, but that they're expecting to get many, many more uh, in the next few days as soon as today. Um, but he was not specific about how many tests are really needed now that these newly expanded guidelines are in place um, or how many the state is going to get. What what are we talking about when we talk about a test kit? What does that what is it like? Do they need to be manufactured or is it what's in them? Yeah, so they're about the size of a shoebox. Uh, when you open it, there are these four little vials in there and they're technically not manufactured by the CDC, um, but they're kind of I guess, assembled or they come from the CDC. Uh, the different parts are made by different companies that make um, diagnostics and uh, biotech companies. Um, and the way that they collect the specimen is one of three ways. You can cough up some phlegm and they can take a sample of that. Or they can do kind of like a throat culture where they stick a swab like way down in your throat. Or you can do a nasal swab. These all sound like horrible things when you're already suffering from some sort of disease. Yeah, it doesn't sound pleasant. No, not at all. Why is it important to test people for this? At some point, if it's circulating in the community, isn't it a matter of testing the symptoms and not necessarily figuring out how many people have it? I think that's a good point. Um I mean, there are some experts now saying that eventually a, a large number of people will eventually get it, even though it will likely not be life-threatening or even make you that ill. Um, so I think we'll see maybe in the coming weeks uh, whether the need to test is going to be as pronounced as it has been. I mean, I think that they are still planning on doing surveillance um, like they do with influenza at some point down the line. Is that right? Uh, I know that there had been conversation about um, – so we, we we do surveillance for influenza every year where they just test like a random sampling of um, people who show up with flu-like symptoms. And that's just so that it's it's kind of what public health does is they monitor what's circulating in the community. So at some point – right now they still want to test people, individuals, because we're still in this phase of – they call it mitigation where – you want to really slow down the progression as much as you can. So you do still want to identify individuals and then do everything you can to isolate them, to find out who they've been in contact with, to really kind of keep them not contained, but, you know, as much as you can mitigate um, the, the further spread in the community. So we're still in this phase of of that. Um, we're definitely not at a place a place now where we just assume it's everywhere and we're kind of ready to just let it go. They're hoping that we won't really ever get to that place. Um, and it's possible that that we won't. Um, Are there any good signs on the horizon that indicate maybe it won't become that widespread? Or is it just hoping at this point? I think it's just hoping. I mean, maybe the one thing they would be counting on would be if this ends up being seasonal. Um, and if they can stave off, you know, widespread community circulation until, say, the spring, if this thing does go away, then that 
you know, that would be great. Then potentially we would never be in a place where it's spreading widely in the community. So I think that's probably partly what's on their mind. This morning at his press briefing, Governor Newsom said uh, something along the lines of, I don't want to politicize this crisis, but we don't have enough tests. The CDC has not been very responsive in this. Um, and, and we also had news today that there's a whistleblower who said people were uh, who are coming into quarantine were not being greeted. Um, the workers were not wearing proper garbs or protective gear. Uh, like anything in this country, it is becoming politicized one way or another. You've covered a lot of these uh, crises or health concerns. What sh- Do you have a feeling of how the governments are working together? You know, I'll honestly say uh, it seemed to go pretty smoothly this time. And I actually had conversations with folks who are infectious disease experts who have been through many of these who were kind of commenting quietly to me that they hadn't seen it politicized yet. Um, I don't know if folks remember, but Ebola was highly politicized. I mean, when they were bringing in people from from Africa for quarantine, it was like every single one of those cases was major political drama. And for a long time, we didn't really have that going on. And the thinking was it was because there's so much election drama that people were kind of distracted and not really putting two and two together. So it feels like this is a little bit new, um, kind of just this week that those sort of, you know, blame games and I don't want to politicize it, but comments are going around, which, you know, to be honest, in a situation as massive and dynamic as this, it's kind of to be expected that there would be missteps, there would be people blaming um you know, not not to excuse it. I mean, it's unacceptable, really, that the test kit situation is a really big problem and, and um, people are right to be annoyed about that and angry about that. Um, but it is something that is just this really highly dynamic crisis that um, I think it's it's bound to see things like that come up. We had more cases today, too. Um, this afternoon, we posted that a UC Davis student who lives in the dorms there is being tested for coronavirus, has been exposed to somebody who is a known patient and has some symptoms. Uh, what what are the schools doing in response to things like this? Is there any way to keep that from blowing up in a in a dormitory situation? I mean, there is you know, a way to keep it from blowing up, which is what they're hoping to do. Um, So I think that the UC Davis person was actually an exposure to the Solano County patient who's being treated at UC Davis, um, at UC Davis Medical Center. Um, You know, and this is somebody who, you know, had an exposure to this patient and is now feeling ill and is actively being tested and is being quarantined. Um, And I think two other students also. Um, You know, it's, it's hard to it's it's kind of too soon to say if that's if they caught it in time, if they managed to get this person in time. One of the problems with this particular virus is there is some evidence. They don't really know exactly when people are shedding virus, when they're infectious. So, you know, it's hard to say when this person got sick and when they started potentially being able to infect other people and how much interaction they had. I mean, that's there are all these variables. So if the person thought that they might be, you know, a risk and kept him or herself holed up in their room, then it may be that the the campus-wide risk is very low. If this person didn't think about that at all and was going to classes and wandering all around, then we may be looking at something else entirely. I'm speaking with health reporters Catherine Ho and Aaron Alday about the latest on the coronavirus. We'll be back right after this. Catherine, one of the things that you've written about is how hospitals are preparing 
Uh, we see in Solano County, this one hospital is putting people on quarantine. Is is there a concern that hospitals won't be able to keep functioning if they have to keep putting their workers in isolation? Well, I think this most recent case um, maybe has made hospitals more concerned Um you know, when I spoke to some of these uh, hospital administrators a couple days ago, which in this virus seems like forever ago, um, they were still at the kind of early contingency planning stage where, um, you know, they know where isolation rooms are in their hospital and they're, you know, are prepared to make plans if they need to, to add, you know, isolation wards and isolation rooms. Um, the way that hospitals are treating these patients right now is they're putting in um, they're putting the patients in negative pressure rooms, which have separate air circulation systems as uh, the rest of the hospital. So they are not spreading, you know, contaminated air to everyone else. You called it a negative pressure room. That yeah. sounds very scary. It uh, basically sucks the air out of the room and then filters it and then puts it outside so that it's not circulating in the rest of the hospital. So this is how hospitals like right now and actually for years have treated um, airborne airborne viruses uh, like TB and measles. And so right now, um, this is how they're treating coronavirus patients kind of out of an abundance of caution. Does every hospital have one of those? Every hospital does have at least one. Um, some have many. Um, and the state, you know, tracks where these rooms are, um, and local health departments also track where these rooms are. So, for instance, um, San Francisco has around 100 across all the hospitals in the city. Your story that you've written about the testing protocol, I think, is really interesting because it makes it sound like you're only going to be tested if you have these sort of severe symptoms. And we know that only 80 percent of that 80 percent of people who come down with this don't have those symptoms. Is it possible to maintain really accurate counts of how many people come down with coronavirus if we're only testing the most severe cases? That's a good question. Um, a lot of people who had the virus are asymptomatic or not particularly ill, don't feel ill. So I think there's probably a good chance that those people won't need to be tested ever. Um, and it's only the very severe cases where they can't figure out what else you might have uh, that will end up getting this test. One of the things that we keep hearing is this idea of most people having mild symptoms. What does that actually mean? If I have a mild symptom, is it mild in that I'm in bed for a week, but I get okay? Or is it mild just like I my throat is scratchy? I don't know. What does mild actually mean in this context? So I think in this context, they're broadly classifying mild as you don't need to be hospitalized. Um, but But really... You know, it, it's not mild. I, I know it sounds very like, sick and not have to be hospitalized. It sounds that way, but um, but but in this case, I mean, because the main symptoms of this really, um, it's essentially three symptoms: it's fever, cough, and shortness of breath. But most people who get it aren't going to have shortness of breath. Um, shortness of breath would be something that would take you to a hospital and you potentially be hospitalized for. But the people who are just mildly ill, you know, they're. They're getting fevers. I think you have to have a fever to be diagnosed and they're getting maybe a cough that doesn't even bother them that much. But, you know, otherwise, it's, you know, from what we gather, flu makes you feel worse. Um, 
so mild illness, I, there probably is a broad range is the truth of the matter. Um, it's probably from so mild that you would barely even notice you had anything to actually feeling pretty bad, but not needing to be hospitalized. Well, that and that barely knowing you have anything, and that seems to be the actual problem because yes. these people think, well, I have a cold and that's that's a pain in the neck, but I can still go out in the middle of the community. So if tomorrow I develop a cough, uh, should I not come to work? <laughs> no, <I> mean, <laughs> let's not use me in particular. Should you offer not come to work? <laughs> um, Putting aside your personal feelings. <laughs> I mean, I would say, look, a lot of public health folks would say that, generally speaking, fever is what you go by. If you have a fever, don't go to work. Um, don't go to school. I think cough is probably pushing it. But if you have a fever and everybody should be able to have a thermometer and know if they have a fever, which a lot of people don't. So that's actually information people should have. Um, most if, people don't have thermometers. I wouldn't say most, but a lot of people don't. Oh. You have kids. Yeah, that must, I, I, could, that's, so. I have thermometers everywhere. Yes. <laughs> uh, but no, some people don't. So, you know, you want a thermometer. And yeah, if you have a fever, you should not go into work. Public health folks will agree with that. If you just have a cough, you know. It's don't kind of, freak out. Don't freak out. If you can work from home, if that's like an option to you, then yes, go ahead and, and don't get on BART. Um, stay home and, and do your work from home if you have a cough. You said the BART word. We have to now we have to go there. I, I'm getting a ton of questions, even from people who work here at the Chronicle. Should I not take the ferry? Should I not take BART? Should I not go to events anymore? What what do you tell people? I mean, I'm telling people at this point to live their lives as normal. Don't I don't think people I don't think we're at a point where people should be making um, decisions to not ride BART or to cancel. Um, I would cancel. I would not cancel. I would think about my travel plans, but that's only because travel restrictions are so up in the air and I wouldn't want to get stuck somewhere or I would be worried about that. Um, but as far for living your life in the Bay Area, I think at this point, you know, we we don't know what's out there circulating if. You know, if it is circulating somewhere up there in Solano County, you know, we it's hard to say it could just be one or two people. It could be more widespread. I think we'll probably have a lot more information over the next couple of weeks. Oh, I've heard you say that before yes. with this. And I was correct. This yes. thing changes rapidly. That, that, that is true. But as of today, as of this Thursday, I would say live your life. Keep writing BART. Keep going to concerts if that's what you want. Go out to dinner. You know, do your normal things. It's okay. How long, if I get coronavirus, am I probably going to be sick for? Because I, I, at this point, I think some of us have just said, all right, I'm reasonably healthy. Uh, I'm out in public a lot. Chances are not terrible that I'm going to get this. But how long am I going to be out of work? I think from what I gather, and maybe Kat will correct me if you've heard differently, but I think it can be a bit longer than what, you know, an average like cold would be. Um so you can be sick for, you know, seven to 10 days or not feel for that long. I'm sure I'm sure there's a lot of variants. I'm sure that, you know, it could be four or five days um, or just run its course like a regular cold. But I think it it generally it can be a little bit longer than that. But, you know, if, if you get this and you really think that this is what you have, then you should frankly stay home and stay out of public for a couple of weeks. What do hospitals want people to do if they think that they have it? Good question. So they want you to call ahead uh, so the hospital is prepared that you might be coming in and to try not to just come in without giving them advance notice. Uh, when you, If you are to come in to please put on a mask uh, to cover your own coughs or sneezing so that the droplets don't get on other people. 
And how do I know when it's time to go to the hospital? If I have a cough and a fever, should I go to the hospital or should I wait? Well, I think now with telemedicine, maybe your first step would be to call your doctor or video chat with your doctor, especially since, you know, it would be good to minimize your contact with other people if you do have it. Um, and so, you know, those things are much more available now than they were even a few years ago. I know I've been getting a lot of emails from people that have basic questions. What kind of questions are you getting from people when they email you? Um, I mean, kind of the same questions you're bringing up here, which is, you know, how do I, what do I do if I'm not feeling well? Um, a lot of questions on, you know, why we're, why certain actions are taking place and why certain actions aren't. So why are we quarantining? Why aren't we quarantining? It's kind of interesting because I'm sure Kat gets this too, but um, I get both people who are saying this thing's no big deal. The flu is so much worse. Why are you, you guys are over covering this, making a big deal out of it. And then people on the opposite end who are saying, oh my God, this is the end of the world. Why are you guys underplaying this? You know, it's mostly that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's a lot of that. I, I got an email this morning from somebody that I communicate with fairly regularly who's in Italy and says, it's so interesting because Italy is one of the most affected countries outside of China right now. And people are still going to parties and living their lives. And there's this sort of um, I, I, he would put it as a less of a freak out, even in a country where this is circulating wild, widely in the community. Contrast that with the constant breaking news headlines that, that you see on TV. And it's, it's an interesting um, dynamic between different countries. What, what is your last piece of advice for people? What should we be doing to prepare so I've been telling people, I've actually been having these conversations with my family and my friends that I think it would be smart to prepare for the potential of getting sick and needing to isolate yourself for two weeks um, or, you know, needing or, or, or having a child whose school is closed down and you need to keep that kid at home with you for a couple weeks. So I think people should be really planning for that. Um, hopefully it'll never get to that, but they should be thinking that. And so to that end, you know, if you have prescription meds, I would talk to your doctor about maybe getting, you know, a couple weeks extra supply just to have on hand. Um, you know, make sure you're stocked up on, you know, Advil and uh, Tylenol and just things to treat fevers, mm. um, you know, tissues and toilet paper, like kind of basic supplies that you would want to have around the house if you're not feeling well and you'd rather not go to the store for two weeks. Um, so I think that's all smart stuff to do. Um, and also be thinking about how you could work from home. And how you can, you know, how you can keep your kids with you and what your alternatives to daycare might be. Kat, any advice for everybody? I would just add to um, to that a little bit by just wash your hands because like any other virus, the way the best way to deal with it is to not get it. And, you know, wash your hands with warm water and soap for 20 seconds. Try not to touch your eyes or your nose, or your mouth. And if you have a cough, don't cough on other people. Yeah, I, you know, I'm glad you said the 20 second thing because today I was in a bathroom and somebody did it for two seconds and I was like, that's not it's going not to enough. kill the coronavirus at all. And also, yuck. <laughs> and hand sanitizer. Helps. Hand hand yeah. sanitizer. I don't know about you, but I, I have been very aware this week of how much I put 
my hands near my face. And uh, it's a really hard habit to break. So, well, I actually talked to somebody who was like, this should that people should be practicing that right now. This is the time to work on breaking that habit. Like if that's something you do and most of us do, now is the time to to think about that and come up with ways to avoid doing that. Yeah, good advice. We have a, a feature on sfchronicle.com called the Assignment Editor. It's where readers can write in with any questions they have on various topics. We have one up right now on sfchronicle.com. Please, everybody, go to the Assignment Editor. Send us your questions. We will answer them online and in print. And thank you, ladies, for your continued coverage on this. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Thank you to health reporters Aaron Alday and Catherine Ho for being with me today. Thank you to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thank you for listening. Fifth and Mission is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. If you like this podcast, please consider becoming a financial supporter of the largest newsroom in Northern California. You can sign up for a San Francisco Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod.